how are you doing? Welcome back to our ongoing exploration of the ecosystem of our teaching community at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. My name is Claire Houle, and I'm a writer and instructional designer at MTC's Center for Teaching Excellence. I'll be offering you connection with our teaching community and our seasonal lives as we live the academic year together. What do you teach? How do you teach it? How could we learn from each other? This is Instructional Ecology. It's February, the last full month of winter for our area. The new year has lost its polish. Spring break is ages away. This is a month of discipline. When we look around, nothing has sprouted yet. There's nothing local that's fresh and green on our plates or on the horizon. Before commercial agriculture, this was the time of year people ate the last of their stored and preserved foods and longed for the change they knew was coming. But the change hasn't come yet. In our teaching year, this is when our students are buckling down. It's too soon to see the results of a semester of learning. Their changes are still in progress. The challenge now can be having the patience to do the work and trust that it will add up to something new in the months ahead. We're all living off our plans and what we saved. What is this month like for you this year? Are things in hand, your plans unfolding as they should? Have you experienced breaks and interruptions, illness? How are your students right now? As I think about the seeming bleakness of the last month of winter, I'm thinking about how we as instructors negotiate these long stretches that our students face when there's little to distract them. When there are no holidays, no fine weather, only the work and eating what we've saved, literally and instructionally. We're living on our plans, waiting for the new life that's dormant to begin to animate. This is a great time to talk to Leah Norris, who teaches economics in the School of Behavioral Sciences. If you're in need of inspiration and a shot of energizing spring tonic, Leah will provide it. Leah has a particular talent for helping students connect the abstraction of her classes with the intense reality of their personal and public lives. Our conversation made me think about how an important part of our instructional work is to help students come to understand that what we do what we teach is real, not just abstraction they must memorize and regurgitate. And economics is a great example of this needed skill. Economic theory can be intimidating, intricate, seem deeply abstract, but Leah knows that it's simply describing and predicting patterns and practices that humans have created themselves and use every day in many ways. I wonder in what you teach, what do you find students have misconceptions about? What steps do you take to bring the material to life for them? How do you connect what you teach with how they'll use the concepts and skills you're teaching? What we do is real. Instruction is sometimes also misunderstood as cloud-headed, insubstantial, or narcissistic and insular. We all know the stereotypes of cruel and arrogant, out-of-touch college professors. So when I talk with instructors, I always want to know the practical parts of teaching, not just the thrilling heights of ideas. How do you convey new ideas? Teaching is real and pragmatic, and in a long stretch of instruction, we must continue to make it real each time we connect with students. Let's spend some time in economics. My name is Leah Norris. I'm in the PAGE department in the School of Social Behavioral Sciences. I serve as the program director for PAGE, which stands for Political Science, Anthropology, Geography, and Economics. And I also serve as one of the economics professors within that department. I'm in my 11th year of teaching, and I've taught at Midlands Tech for six and a half years. Prior to my time at Midlands Tech, I taught at Allen University. The classes that I teach here at Midlands Technical College are microeconomics, macroeconomics and economic concepts, which is a combo of microeconomics and macroeconomics. Within social behavioral sciences, or SBS as we call it at Midlands Technical College, we cover a number of different disciplines. We have psychology, sociology, political science, anthropology, geography, and economics. So we can go from understanding how people think or process information, understanding a little bit more about cultures and dynamics, understanding social norms are also some of the topics that we um, engage in conversations with our students. 
And even too, looking at the political platform, understanding first and foremost, how is our political structure formed? How do those systems operate? How do we as citizens make choices and how what power we have as well as what parts of the governing parties have as well? But it basically offers the students so many different angles to view the world and understand different aspects from different viewpoints as well. I would like to begin at the beginning, which is the very first day of class. Because we all know our students arrive with a lot of assumptions about what what they're facing and what you are going to do and who you are and what everything they already know, right? I'd like to hear what they arrive with and what you do to show them what's really going to happen. When students arrive on the first day, there are a number of different mindsets and and preconceived notions about what they're going to experience in the class. Some of them are extremely frightened about the process because they know that economics is a difficult course um, to master. Others are extremely ecstatic because they're avid readers of the Wall Street Journal or other um, reputable Um, periodicals or or literatures that are placed out. So I try to level the playing field by first showing them that this is relatable to everyone. And also to starting out with an icebreaker, you know, not even starting out with a subject matter. So even before I talk about the syllabus or anything that can deter um, their interest, I first make sure that they know what community is there to support them. And, you know, it's building that community from the first day. And then I also transition into letting them know that, honestly, I didn't like economics in undergrad. I always told my students I stumbled into this career and into the subject matter because I really loved math. And so um, as I began to, you know, transfer to different programs and curriculums throughout my undergraduate education and even to moving on to grad school, I found the love for the subject. And so I try to make sure that they understand that this is a process, this is a journey, And sometimes they may not appreciate it until the end or until we talk about certain topics that, you know, focus on business ownership and how it's relatable or just how it impacts your grocery store visits Um, or even to just understanding how you can use it to vote for different political campaigns. So um, it's just the course provides so much variety. So I always try to express that. And then I also present the realities that some days this is just going to be boring. Some days you just need to learn the theories and and get through the mundane aspects of the curriculum, but there are gonna be other days where you just wanna talk about this even after class because you're so interested and engaged. You know, one of the things that I know that you've done before is you use a clip from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Tell me about, you know, that movie just lives on after so many decades and that particular moment. Tell me about that moment that you use and, and why. Well, one of the reasons is because economics is there are so many misconceptions about what we're going to cover that semester. And also, too, to show them that, yes, it is very heavy theory based, but there's always something you can gain from it. And so I always laugh and I, I tell them at the end of the clip, I say, I, I've seen almost every single student reaction that's shown in that video. Um, except the the sleeping on the desk. One of the things that I try to let the students know is that you know, sometimes in academic in, in their academic careers, they may not enjoy every part of the process, but this is going to be something that's going to be beneficial. And they just have to open up their minds and engage. And I tell them that you help make the class. You know, it's when you come in with your questions, it's when you come in with curiosity that we can really discover new new depths of the topic. Talk to me about curiosity and how you foster that in the classroom. Well, one of the things that I try to do, and each class is different, let me first say that, because I'll have some some um, lecture sessions or virtual sessions where students, um, I really have to dig deeper to, to try to see um, what piques their interest. Um, and then others, I can pose one question and we can just talk about um, an article related to that. So it, it di- differs in, in different aspects. So for those that already come in with interest, then I'll say, well, Think about how this relates to the fair or how it relates to, you know, something that they already have experienced so that it builds upon, you know, the foundations of what they already know. And then it leads them to ask more questions because many times students will actually read on their own. So I just really try to build from helping them to understand 
that economics is all around us and we have to understand how to open up our eyes to make sure that we can really see the connections and see the value in the subject matter. Thinking about that connection to maybe what they already know, that they don't realize they already know it, I know that you really try to foster that aha moment to make that connection. And one year it occurred to you to take them to the fair. I'd love to hear about what was the impetus what was the gap that you saw and how the fair was going to fill it and then how it goes, what it does for them? Curiosity is, again, a way to continue to develop students. And I learned that very early on in my um, teaching career. And so during that particular time, I worked in, in a downtown area. And so I was really trying to figure out how to get the students engaged outside the classroom. And, and it was really um, very, very fortunate for me that I was able to figure out how to make sure that it coordinated with all of their classes. And I was trying to, one, build self-esteem because many times what students don't realize is that the value that they're gaining um, in their academic curriculum is something that many other individuals may not have the opportunity or may not even take the steps to gain that information. So I divided my classes. I had a macroeconomics class and a microeconomics class. And I was thinking, what better way for them to have fun, you know, collaborate with their classmates um, and really engage and, and make sure that it was an active learning experience. And so with that, what I had them do, and it, and it seemed very simple, I think sometimes as, as professors and as educators, we think that processes have to be so elaborate in order to be effective. I gave them a questionnaire, um, some questions that they had to answer um, from, from a micro group where they had to identify certain things like fixed costs or diminishing marginal returns. And then they had to see that um, while they were at the fair. For my other group, my macroeconomics course, what they had to do was they had to educate um, individuals that were at the fair about certain economic um, concepts and theories. So like, for instance, I had them ask um, individuals that were attending the fair about unemployment, the debt, deficit. And then what they gained from that is they realized that they knew more than most of the average Americans about the the, the true essence of, of the theories that they were studying in class. So it built self-confidence. And many of them came back and we actually debriefed. And I think that sometimes we forget that debriefing is just as important. So you can know how to tweak your, your exercises and, and different engagement activities. And so after having that discussion and out of that follow-up, they really had a greater sense of understanding as to why this was so important, um, not only for personal for their personal endeavors, but also for their careers. I think that that's, that's such a great observation that, you know, if you don't have the debrief, then how is the lesson actually landing? Could you talk about your best practices? Like for you, what, what makes a good debrief? What, what are your goals? How do you know that it's, it's, it's gone well? Well, one of the things that I've realized is repetition is, in, is important. So many times where I make that a core part of my curriculum. And so debriefing can be with us just going over another assignment again. Like some, I used to, um, undervalue um, repetitive exercises in the classroom because it was, you know, you just figured you need to just get through more content, but sometimes it's whatever they know, they need to know it well. And so sometimes that debriefing is um, testing them on different levels of Bloom's taxonomy. And so, you know, we may start out with just memorization. Let's start off with a definition, you know, and I try to do at the beginning of the class, a, a brief recap of what we discussed the last time. So that's the way I'm debriefing, you know, just making sure that everyone is is on the same page as far as the learning. But then I can also reiterate, you know, if you had some struggles with this content, make sure that you check D2L or the learning um, management system that we're using at the college. And also to, you know, follow up with office hours, use, you know, all the different resources that are available. And so I do it through a number of different ways just to make sure I'm capturing where all of my students are, but also to helping them to understand, okay, now these are the next steps that you need to take if you're not completely understanding the content. It really gives me a way of gauging where we are, if I need to slow down the pace, if I need to change the pace as well. So it's very, very helpful for me as an instructor and also, too, as a self-check for them to make sure that they're on track with their studies. What I hear you describing is a constant self-reflection uh, of, of where you are as an instructor. I'd love to hear you talk about how, how you reflect on 
what you're doing and what they're doing. How do you build that into your teaching practice? Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. So I build it in. I may not be able to do it every day, to be honest with you. Um, but over the years, I've built um, a number of different methods that work for me and work for the, the topics that I cover in my classes. And so sometimes, you know, things are an epic fail. And I just accept that maybe that didn't come across as, as well as I anticipated. And so even in those failures, I've learned how to become more effective. And so even with that, sometimes, and, and especially this has been really critical as the student dynamics have changed because it used to be, I, I could reference um, something major that happened in the news two days ago, and, uh, and many students would already know, they would already be familiar with the concepts that we're covering. And so, you know, with doing those checks and balances at the end of the day, it helps me reevaluate what group I'm teaching, because um, particularly at a community college, uh, you don't have the same demographics in, in every term, in every course. So you have to be very flexible and really moldable in your teaching methods to make sure that what you're teaching is going to translate well to whatever students you're serving. It's important to understand that although there are many differences, there are many similarities. One of the things that students always want to know is, why do I need this course? You know, and so just understanding that and coming from that simple mind frame, it helps me to reach all of the students, no matter where, what kind of background they have, what kind of um, preparedness um, they have, because that's also a, a, a huge challenge for, for professors as well. And so it really levels the playing field. And then also, too, as, as I build the community, then it also helps them to learn how to teach each other and to rely on each other in their education process. When you talk about students relying on each other, I know that you've moved more towards uh, having the students participate in teaching. Um, that, I mean, that could look so many different ways. I'd love to know how you have them participate in teaching, what brought you to making that choice, and what you feel that it's, it's, it's uh, gained in the classroom. I have several different levels of, of student-led teaching or, or um, making sure that they're collaborating and interacting in the teaching process. So one of the things that I do, and I do this almost every day at the very beginning of class when I'm recapping the information, but I'll ask students, you know, explain um, this particular topic or, or principle. And so by that, by them having to reiterate things that we talked about the last time, then they're able to, you know, instead of me having to talk for 90 minutes or what have you, it really starts them out with a discussion as well. And so th th those are the really um, some of the more flexible type um, ways that I can gauge, you know, their understanding and making sure that they are collaborating. And sometimes it can be, you know, them working together in groups, because actually when I do test reviews, they work in groups for my on-ground classes. I'm, I'm able to do it in that format. And so what they don't realize is that they're teaching each other how to solve the problems. And so there I'm not facilitating that particular engagement but they're able to interact and all I'm all I'm doing is really asking the questions and following up with discussions on some of the important topics that are upcoming. The other extreme of it is um, when I do more flipped classroom exercises. Um, more so I've done this in my micro class because there's a chapter that fits really well with that. But what I have them do is I have them present a topic. And, you know, and it also helps because many of the times I'm, I'm teaching students there will enter into a business profession. So, of course, communication is vital. Um, so I'm making sure to to reiterate those important aspects of soft skills that they need as they enter into the workforce. So that exercise, I have them um, present the material and then I fill in the gaps after their presentation. And then we have follow up discussion because then students are intrigued because they're wanting to know more about the concept because that wasn't the topic that they researched. And so then they'll begin to see the connections there. And so that one has been really a successful exercise that I've used in my classrooms. And, and it's really helped to um, change the environment just from a traditional setting of just me um, teaching. That's exactly what I, as you were describing this, I was thinking, this is such a different expression of teaching and learning than it was 20 years ago that, you know, saying, you know, students could teach each other. Um, 
And so I'm curious about, um, as you described your classroom, it sounds to me like there's a great deal of dynamic all the way around, uh, between students, between you and students, um, inside, outside the classroom. Um, how do you imagine in your mind, what's the image you have of what you're trying, the kind of community that you want to create in over the term of, of one semester in a class? And I think the central theme is curiosity, because you know if we if we if we emphasize that we all need to be lifelong learners, then the sky is the limit. And so that's one of the things that I really try to focus on. And they can see my excitement, you know, when I when I um, I know the other day I was pulling up an article and I was just beaming with joy behind my mask. But I'm sure they could see my cheeks um, <laughs> through um, all of that. But one of the things that, you know, as I come in excited and just showing them how excited I am about showing them the connections, then that's when they really see the value. And one of the one of the items I've had to focus on, particularly since I've, as I've seen the dynamics of the students changing, is that I've had to try to really dial back some of the discussions. And what I mean, what I mean by dialing back is really, really going down to the foundational level. Um, for instance, um, especially when we were talking about inflation uh, about a week or two ago in one of my classes, I instead of using the term inflation, using the course terms, I said, you, you know, have any of you all realized what happened with gas prices? You know, tell me how you've changed your habits. And then I use that as a foundation to then go back and reiterate some of the items that we talked about in the class. And then they begin to see the connections. Then they begin to see on the aggregate level or uh, or looking at the economy as a whole. And then they begin to see, oh, this is how it's not only impacting me and in my household, but it's also impacting the community. It's impacting the supply chain. And so they begin to really begin to see the changes. And then I heard from students I you know, hadn't heard from all semester that were chiming in and really engaged. So just being being really flexible and really sensing the room out to really make sure that I understand where they are, how they can participate, how can I, you know, um, challenge them academically still, but still make sure that they understand the connections because of something that they experience on an everyday basis. Um, and I'm still developing this process because, as I stated again, the student demographics change constantly. And, and so I never can be comfortable with, with every environment that I have because every semester is changing. I always tell all of my, my associates and friends, you know, it's like I have new clientele every three months. I have a new, <laughs> new, new um, customer, new customers that I service and I have to adapt very quickly to make sure that I understand. So one of the things that's actually helped me quite a quite a, um, a bit is that from the icebreaker that I do on the first day, because I actually take notes from what the students tell me, because one of the things I ask them is, what is something interesting about yourself? And so I use that as a foundation because let's say, and it also helps me learn their names faster. But what I do is let's say if we're going through different topics, I'll say, well, um, Susie, just making up <laughs> that student's name, Susie, don't you like to snowboard? And so I'll use a snowboarding example that engages that one student and then I'll remember to piggyback on another student with something different. And so I'm trying to make sure to pull everyone in um, using those techniques. So one of the things that um, <clears throat> we sort of began at this point with um, what they assume and you know what what where you have to guide them is uh and one of the things i hear you saying repeatedly with economics is what we do is real i'd love to hear you talk about a concept that students coming in think that they know like for unemployment or gdp you choose um and how you show them that well they kind of already know it but also they, they have misconceptions uh, and how you ground them in the reality within your discipline so that both their reality and the discipline have equal measure for them. There's so many topics that students have a misconception about, um, but I'll use unemployment because that's one of the more fascinating topics that my students really gravitate to. And so one of the ways that I start off is just by asking them, well, what do you think it is? You know, even before they have time to do the reading, I, I want to understand how many people really have the true understanding of the term or the terms that we're going to cover. And so from that, 
then I break down the the basic foundation. And and I also make sure to, you know, show complimentary videos, um, whether it be from the news or from from different um from different reputable websites that deal with a topic and subject matter. So like for instance, when we discuss unemployment, I also talk about underemployment. And so they understand different dynamics of it. So I always tell them that you have a basic foundation. But I want to make sure that you have a full understanding because when you hear political platforms, when you're reading different um, information in the news, I want to make sure that you have the correct term terminology and the correct understanding of those concepts so that you can make different decisions that that adhere to your particular desires for political platforms. So particularly even when we're in, in um, a political season, you know, I'll pull websites or I'll ask students, you know, what are you reading about? What was on the on the presidential debate, you know, the night before or two nights before? And we'll use that as a platform. And I said, well, let's go back to the term. How, how would most Americans view this? How do you see this now? And so I really show them how they have to understand this because there's so many different um, ways that information is being communicated with them, but they have to, again, be lifelong learners and make sure that they're educating themselves and the community around them. So you just said they're educating the community around them. Do you get a sense that how, of how they're taking what you give them into the community? I'm teaching more future entrepreneurs or current entrepreneurs. So I have a great opportunity to to inform them of how economics is vital in their business. You know, and I even tell them, maybe you're not going to be an entrepreneur, but maybe you're going to be an accounting executive. Maybe you're going to be a manager. These are some things that you need to understand. And then sometimes I've had students say, well, I talked to my manager about this, or they've had an opportunity to work with someone that deals with logistics in their company. And then they begin to see the themes come to life. And then they will say, well, hey, I just learned about this in my econ class. And so they begin to walk through that. And so it opens up so many doors for them. You know, I've, I've gotten a great sense of how things have just been rolling for you over the years as you've developed your topics and your attention to the students and as they change. Um, so I guess I want to come to the great uh, train wreck that was the pandemic when everything came to a screeching halt and we all had to reframe. I'd love to hear about when you suddenly had to move everything online. Um, what were some things that you had to do and how did your students respond? Well, the pandemic provided a number of different challenges, which I think most educators would agree across the board. But also there were so many opportunities. So the first day I tried to just gauge the class and just really see where they were. But with my macro class, I was I was really surprised because they had so many questions. They 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 were recalling items about GDP and unemployment and inflation. And and I literally that class, I probably maybe covered three slides, if that, but they really, I really was just looking at the Wall Street Journal and I said, hey, this is what I read about today. You tell me what you experienced or what you're seeing as it relates to, you know, what we've talked about so far. And the conversation was just phenomenal. That was probably one of the best interactive classes that I ever had. And I think that, you know, again, if students can see um, economics changing around them, they're more likely to be engaged or come with questions. And so that was really one of the positive takeaways. Now, of course, we dealt with fatigue. And even I know I have dealt with fatigue because I had three classes back to back. So coffee was definitely my best friend <laughs> in between those sessions to really um, make sure that my energy level and that I was um, what it needed to be to present to my students. So one of the things that I also had to do was I had to become a better listener. And I feel like I've already been a pretty observant person and because I'm super analytical, but I had to really use different cues to help me understand where my students were and to have more compassion to understand that this is something that we're all struggling with and all struggling with on different levels. And so although I always reached out to students, um, you know, it just afforded me different opportunities to 
understand students in a different way and to make sure that I was adapting to what was happening and, and just making sure that they knew, just make sure you talk with me, have a conversation with me, you know, so that you can make sure that you're meeting your goals. Yes, we're still going to finish the curriculum. We had to modify it greatly, but I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was still a resource that they could make sure that they're utilizing and and still just make sure that they're being proactive, you know, um, with all of the different challenges that they were having. And one of the things I think it also helped me to do is it created a challenge. You know, I think sometimes we want to run from anything that may be challenging or cause us to think outside the box. But, you know, through that, I was able to really realize different teaching methods that could help to reach students in a different way because I was trying to convert items that were on ground to a virtual platform. And then I had to, you know, because it was difficult to gauge the student learning, I had to figure out, you know, how I could keep them engaged and how to make sure that they were still comprehending. So it it was a challenge for me, but also too, it helped me to see how strong I was and how to make sure I created an even better work-life balance. Because, you know, if I make sure that I step away and, and I, I definitely um, stayed outside more in my garden, I started gardening well before the pandemic, but that was really essential for me to, to have that time to replenish, um, you know, just to make sure that I was ready and, and, able, and able to present effectively for them. Not just, okay, are you teaching the material, but no, are you enthusiastic? Are you excited about the material? Because students feed off of your energy. And I think we forget that sometimes. I think that uh, you know, the pandemic has opened up a lot of conversations that we weren't necessarily having. Some, of course, are related to this very different time, but some are issues that are always going. And, of course, we've talked a little bit more about student mental health right now because we know that they have new stress, you know, Students always have many stresses, but so do we. Um, have you come to see, you even used the term work-life balance, have you come to be more aware and attentive to your own wellness um, since the pandemic? Um, you've said you, you've done a little bit more gardening, but maybe again, as we go forward and as things begin to mitigate, um, what are you going to carry forward with you? I was definitely a workaholic prior to the pandemic. Um, because I'm a perfectionist at nature and there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, seeking a level of excellence in whatever you do. But one of the things that I really had to make sure of is one, realize that our students, you, they're going to deal with challenges. But, you know, as I see different, um, you know, changes in behavior or, you know, just making sure that I'm proactive and saying, you know what, I've noticed you haven't turned in a couple assignments, which I was doing prior to the point, but I think I had to change the way I was reaching out to the students. So, and I would still use the same um, language of, you know, I'm concerned that you have, um, you know, missed a couple assignments. I noticed your test grade has dropped, you know, I, and, and that's kind of where I would leave that conversation before the pandemic. But during the pandemic and afterward, I would actually focus in on well, do you need me to refer you to anyone, you know, or even I wouldn't be afraid to say, you know, we have counseling and career services that offer different items. There's tutoring, there's, you know, I just made sure to, to, to involve more in the, engage more in the conversation to make sure that they know there are resources that can help them and not just waiting for them to respond. Um, and sometimes I would just say things in general, you know, like particularly during the pandemic, I would say, you know, there's so many free resources we have here on campus, you know, just make sure that you're using them. If you're not understanding, you know, make sure you're reaching out, make sure you're, you're connecting with, um, with, with someone that can kind of um, help you in that journey. As it pertains to me, uh, I've made a lot of changes as far as, and I think it's just growth opportunities. Uh, that's how I like to think of it. And I just thought about how, you know, just making sure I'm balanced, you know, because sometimes, you know, I know how to turn on, you know, because I, I don't want to say we're performers in the classroom, but we definitely have a, we have to present daily in the classroom and, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but sometimes you just have to, you know, take a moment, take a step back and really regroup, you know, make sure that you told, that you chime out of the work world at some point. Um, and so I have a cutoff time every day 
that I try not to <laughs> go beyond. But what I've realized is it's made me more efficient. It's helped me to make sure that I'm balanced because even in the process of the pandemic, I opened a business. <laughs> so, you know, when you think about that, you know, managing the roles that I have here at the college on top of that, um, you know, it definitely requires balance. And because I love what I do, it doesn't make my nine to five or, and actually I work longer than that, but it, it definitely doesn't feel like work 90% of the time. I'm in such a great career because, you know, many people don't have that luxury where they enjoy what they do, but I think that's what makes this so much easier for me and, and to what my driving force is. And I always tell my students this, just tell me where you're seeing this. And, and that gives me that adrenaline rush, you know, to know that I'm, I'm seeing the effect and I don't mind pushing for my students. Um, but I also have to be selfish at times and realize when I need to take a moment, when I need to, like, I'm I'm even making sure I eat lunch every day. I know that sounds like such a weird um, focus, you know, or priority, but I was just used to just get it done, get it done. And instead of like, wait, take a pause, refresh, now go back to work. So those have just been some really important items for me. And even to working out, I, I try to work out almost just about every morning to make sure that, you know, I, I have my mind prepared. So in the midst of all this, you yourself are now a business owner and you continue to try to connect students to the reality of Columbia's business community, don't you? So I've had a lot of students who have asked me, well, where can I learn more about, you know, tips before I start a business? And so, you know, that gives me a way to connect them with the community because I actually did a um, seminar during our social behavioral science week last in, in the spring of 2021 where i i did a series i connected with um different um entities in the business world so i had um several people from the banking industry but different small business associations you know just different um government agencies in colombia as well as an accountant uh that attended that panel and so we talked about you know, entrepreneurship endeavors and also just everyday life and how that parallels with macroeconomics and and finance and really focused around finances to, to for the most part. But I tried to touch on as many different topics. And it was so amazing that many students didn't realize those resources were there and that there were many individuals in the community who would support, you know, different endeavors for small business owners because many students that come to Midlands Tech um, particularly that are on the business track, many of them want to desire to be entrepreneurs or, or managers. And so I thought that that was such a great avenue just from personal experience and also to just understanding their trajectory in life, making sure that they had some exposure at that time to make sure that they, you know, begin those community connections. And I know my students this semester, when I began to talk about it, um, you know, I, they were asking so many questions. So I said, well, let me prepare a guide for you, you know, just listing of different community resources that were free that could help them as they're on their journey of starting their own business. So I, I know one individual was asking about making a business plan and, and I let them know there's a business incubator that will help you, you know, and even too with women in business, there's also to um, another um, resource within the community that can help their free webinars. So, you know, it's all about, you know, building those connections and of course, helping them to thrive and they thrive because they see how I thrive both personally and, and also in my business endeavors. I've gotten a good sense of community within your classroom and connected to our larger community. I'm curious now about how you see yourself in the community of instruction here at MTC. Well, I see community in a number of different ways. Sometimes they're formal ways that we build community and then informal. Um, of course, you know, as I engage with other instructors as the program director within PAGE, I'm able to work directly with instructors. And I, I really like to ask instructors, even for my benefit as well, you know, what are you doing in the classroom? Because, you know, as I discuss different um, ways or mechanisms that they've gone about their teaching strategy that's helped me to develop. And also too within um, SBS or social behavioral science here at MTC, we have a very strong community within our faculty. And so we used to have regular roundtables on Fridays. I really used to love uh, attending those by um, Dr. Christine Okowski. And she was 
um, navigating most of most of that um, interaction. But those have been some of the most beneficial sessions when we would do those because we would come with our questions. We would come with, well, how do we solve this? And they were really informal and really more discussion based. And it was really not even an hour long discussion. But those takeaways have been um, not necessarily focused in on teaching your discipline, but reaching your students. And so, you know, we all are experts in our industry, but sometimes translating that to our students, there can be a mismatch, <laughs> you know, when we begin to think about what we think they're, they're learning and what they really learn. And so that platform has been extremely vital um, as it pertains to my success. Also, too, I try to, you know, engage with other people across the campus. There are just so many different layers that students have to understand that it's beyond just memorization. It's understanding, it's applying, it's, it's seeing the connections. So I really have to be very strategic in how I discuss and how I approach different items. So I definitely try to learn from other economics instructors or professors so that I can learn how, you know, items specific to my um, to, to my lectures and to my topics, then I'm addressing some of the challenges that are within the classroom. I hear you saying that you're very open and curious, to use our, our theme for the day, about how other people are doing things and how it's working for them. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the larger community of our instructors across our colleges, because we now have seven schools, many departments, what is, what's a topic that you would really like to hear how other people do it? You know, there's always ways to improve. So I'm really open to any and everything um, as it relates to best teaching methods because we should always continue to evolve. And so when I think about this, it's not necessarily one particular area, but anything that I can improve my effectiveness, I am completely open to it. But particularly the online and virtual environments and, and if anyone can ever tell me how to get students to read, I will, I won't say I'm going to give them a thousand dollars, but I, I wish I could, I can give it the, them that in monopoly money, but, <laughs> but that's something that, you know, it's really tricky to get students to understand their responsibility in the learning process. And I think they understand it at some point in the course. And, and I don't like to make everything a grade, but the reality is sometimes you have to send nudges, you know? And so I do have tactics to make sure that, you know, different objectives are met before class. Um, so I'll do pre-lecture assignments or I go old school and say, bring out a paper and pen or pencil and here's a pre-lecture quiz, you know? So I, I just would like to see the variety that's offered on campus as far as what's worked for them. Because although the subject matters are different, we're all focused on student learning. And so if that's our goal, I think, you know, continuing to build a community and sharing ideas is is critical in this time frame, because although I may not use your method um, to the T, I can see the value of it and then make modifications or think, you know, or does it fit my style of teaching? You know, and sometimes you just have to keep those in your back pocket because you never know. I know I've changed lesson plans in the middle of the class lecture, you know, where I see that they're not engaged and I have to say, well, wait, let's go, let's, let's look at this, let's do this. So it's always great to have that information regardless. Well, there's something I know that, um, that you use that I'd love to hear to get you to talk about in some very concrete and, and sharing sorts of terms. You mentioned that you um, ended up using Jamboard really effectively in your classes. Um, with the uh, understanding that there are probably instructors out there that may not know what it is or what it does, I'd love for you to describe what was the need you had in your classroom and how Jamboard, how you use that to get a certain result. And describing that so that if someone is listening, thinking, I could use this tool, what would they want it for and how could they get started with it? Absolutely. Well, Jamboards are very similar to just a whiteboard, a white collaborative board uh, within the virtual environment or online environment. And so the need arose because during the pandemic, again, as, as we all know, challenges but opportunities existed during you know, the start of the pandemic. There were certain exercises that I always used in class with traditional construction paper and pen. And so I was trying to develop a similar activity to have the same effectiveness, 
but to make sure that it could translate well in the virtual and online environments. And so with that, what I ended up doing was creating several different exercises, really more on the lower level of Bloom's taxonomy, which was more identification, because if students understand the identification of different terms or, or, um, or different concepts within the chapter, we can build upon that as we're going through the lecture. So in one of the courses where I use that is, is for microeconomics, where they're learning the different uh, market structures, meaning looking at oligopolies, monopolies, monopolistic competition, and pure competition. And so <clears throat> students have to realize that they need to understand the differences between all four. And so what I ended up doing was creating a, a virtual board that had aspects of each of those market structures and students simply needed to match the concepts with attributes of that particular item. I was just thinking this is going to be perfect because it, it, it had a very um, low learning curve as far as the students and that was essential. Particularly during the pandemic, I didn't want to overwhelm them with a process that would require um, too many steps. And so when I began to look at it, all it was was simply they just had to drag their mouse to move different items on this board. And what it was interesting because it was so engaging. So one of the things with that, and, and I had um, an opportunity to present it to the CTE. And so that was one of the, I was able to share that with the community um, at MTC so that they could see how they could use it in their curriculums. But it just opened up so many doors because what I was able to do with that is I, I can use those during my office hours um, if students have further questions. I've also used it as, you know, a recap. So when we were preparing to move on to the next lecture, I said, well, let's go back and just make sure we have this solidified. And we were able to use it again and, and use that, um, use the concepts of repetition to make sure students grasp the material. So it was really, really helpful. It came, it stemmed from just simply needing a substitute for what was normally used that I knew was proven in the classroom. And I've used it in other classes as well. Well, I'm thinking um, also, and I say, I hear you planning. You're saying, okay, well, I, I did it one way and now it's at this stage, but I know that there, there's plenty of long-term to come. And one of the things I know about our teaching community is it's almost as diverse as our student body. We have people from so many backgrounds and at so many stages of their teaching. We have some folk that are just joining us and some who are ready to step into retirement. And I, feel, I see that you are in the middle. You are seasoned, but you have so much more to go. I'd love to hear about where you are in your teaching career right now? Like, where are you in your journey? What is behind you and what what are you doing and, and, and what's what's next for you? Where are you? I no longer get nervous. I used, um, I'm such a, a planner and strategic thinker that I try to map out all of my classes. And I remember, you know, down to the last second before I need to leave my office, I would just really become overly consumed. Like, I just want this lesson to be perfect. I just want it to make sure it goes well with my students. But I've had to learn to just relax and rely on my preparedness, you know, because sometimes I'll go to a class and I'll remember an article I did in year one, you know, and, and I'm able to connect with them. So I, I feel like I'm becoming more settled and more confident in my role as a, as a as a professor. And so that's greatly, of course, eased anxiety or or, um, or stress here in the workplace and at home. And so that's really been very beneficial with that. Um, I've always been open-minded, but I'm even more open-minded. And I want to continue to positively impact my community here at Midlands Tech, as well as the education community at large. And so, you know, that's why I'm really um, fortunate to have this opportunity to present. And, and hopefully it will open up more dialogue to connect with others, not only to improve myself, but to improve others, because we all are are reaching students and, and trying to impact learning and build future leaders, not only for the US, but also on the global spectrum. And so just being able to have more opportunities to do that is gonna be super helpful for not only me, but all those that we service. So I think I'm, I'm at a place now where I can continue to grow in different capacities and, and also to fine tune the processes that are already very well, very proven to be effective in, in what I'm doing now. And, and so I think that's, that's where I'm at. Outstanding. 
I think as instructors, I guess since I have the attention of the education community, is let's work together. Let's continue to connect. Let's continue to inspire. Let's continue to innovate and look at challenges as opportunities and make sure that we are all working towards the goal of ultimately producing an excellent product, which is for any business. You want an excellent product because, of course, you get you receive repeat customers um, and continue to have a positive light in the community and know that, you know, your uniqueness is going to attract an impact your particular audience. Sometimes those impacts are very minimal and that's okay. Every day is not going to be um, a, a gold medal day. Um, sometimes it's just those uh, it's just those moments where, where you see a student with a light bulb going off and sometimes those are the most treasured moments. But just know that you know whatever you're doing, you're making an impact. Um, and if you have those days where there are some struggles, make sure you have a community um, at home, at, at work where you can um, you, where you can kind of begin to talk through some of those challenges because that's where I really find my strength. Many, I'm very social on my hall, and, and I talk to many different individuals on the faculty and staff side. And sometimes it's just about what I cooked this weekend or what have you. Um, but other times it's like, I'm really facing a challenge. Help me with this or sharing the joys of, of teaching as well. So just make sure we stay connected, you know, and if you'd love to connect me, with me, I'd love to um, have a conversation. I'd love to connect because I'm always looking for opportunities cross-disciplinary um, to engage and, and to engage our students. So let's connect. Leah ended with an invitation I hope you'll accept. For MTC faculty listening, our webpage for this episode has a link to D2L and a discussion board for this conversation. If anything Leah said today has intrigued you, join us to continue the conversation here. This podcast is here to resist isolation, so please reach out and say hello. Who knows what kinds of connection might grow from your responses? I hope your winter is progressing well and your students are making the connections and learning the skills they need. If it's a tough season in your classrooms, reach out in our discussions. Your teaching community is right here. The website also has activities and teaching plans derived from Leah's methods that you can adapt and use. There are links to learning what Jamboard is and how you can use it. And if you need a laugh, and who doesn't these days, you can also watch the worst two minutes of any economics class as immortalized in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I hope you've enjoyed spending some time in economics today and with Leah Norris. She's just one of many voices that we'll hear on Instructional Ecology. She's one being in the network of the social and behavioral sciences and one voice in the larger chorus of teaching here at the college. Thanks for spending time with us. I hope you'll join us for our next episode as the year moves us forward.